interesting to think about. Joining the Dean of the College of Arts and Sciences, Jeff Frederick, are award-winning faculty from across the college. With him are Melissa Edwards from Math and Computer Science, Michelle Fazio from English Theater and Foreign Languages, Scott Hicks from the Teaching and Learning Center, and Connor Sandifer from the Department of Biology. Century. Students assembled in western Robinson County to go to college, this time with laptops and backpacks and cell phones plugged into online learning management systems. A few even had pencil and paper. For those in face-to-face -face classes, a professor literally walked into the room and began a 15-week process designed to equip the eager young pupils with content knowledge, thinking skills, problem-solving skills, communication and professional interaction experiences, and a dozen or more other practical, intellectual, citizenship, and human engagement notions carefully picked for a 21st century audience. These students, by and large, hadn't just come in from the farm, and the t-shirts might not have read University of North Carolina at Pembroke, formerly Croton Normal School or Pembroke State College, and the lab's classrooms and learning environments were now climate controlled, where initially they weren't. And the broadband access is way better than it was in 1887. But even so, similarities remain. In rooms all over campus were collections of teachers and learners starting down a path of discovery replete with possibility, the occasional bout of discouragement, and lots and lots of hope. Yes, it's true that within a couple weeks, someone will have lost a syllabus or missed class for one reason or another, only to quip, I was out yesterday, did we do anything important? Over 20 million Americans are in college right now, with about 75% in public state universities like UNC Pembroke, and about a quarter in private institutions. You'd be wise not to call them college kids, as many college students are now over the age of 25, lifelong learners, grad students second career folks, degree completers, and others who for family, personal, military, or economic reasons did not begin at 18 and won't finish at 22. At UNC Pembroke, one of the most diverse institutions in the South, students come from every walk of life, identity, life experience, and financial status under the sun, making this one of the most exciting and varied teaching environments anywhere. The collection of students can vary so much that the dialectic can literally change from class session to class session. So that inspiring lecture or Socratic exercise that moves students so powerfully in the 9 a.m. class can very well fall flat in the 10 a.m. session. Even so, in an environment that can be different from one class session to the next, the constants of highly effective college teaching remain. Effective teachers create and curate a dynamic learning environment they react in real time to questions, comments, and innovative ideas from students. They are what I sometimes call intellectual bartenders, constantly crafting and recrafting recipes and mixtures in order to reach a room full of learners who each present their own learning styles. All of the pedagogical refinements and uses of instructional technology and research applications are also dependent on a raft of content knowledge, which requires time, and space to stay on the cutting edge. As Maggie Berg and Barbara Sieber note in their book, The Slow Professor, quote, academic work is never done. As the process of professors researching, learning, developing, and implementing the world of ideas into a classroom, lab, 
studio or practicum does not come in rinse, lather, repeat recipe. It takes time. It takes reflection. And it's hardly ever accomplished in exactly the same way. Joining me today to talk about good teaching are Melissa Edwards, Michelle Fazio, Scott Hicks, and Connor Sandifer. Experts all, award-winning teachers all, and perfect guests to talk about such a critically important topic. Before we talk about all of what goes into good teaching, tell me what excites you about it. Why do you all love it? Thanks for a great introduction, Jeff. As you know, teaching is about new journeys, I think. I've been teaching now since 2006 here at UNCP, and every year is a different journey, a different path. It's always fresh. I learn so much from my students. I'm always learning new ways to teach, but I'm also learning new things about them and the world that we're in. So from my point of view, it's always the freshness, the energy, uh, the excitement that students bring to the classroom. And then when they see that you're just as interested in learning something new, you get a sense of how excited they are to learn. What about the rest of y'all? I love students. I love being in the classroom and just not knowing who's going to show up the next semester and always seeing new faces. Um, but it connects me to contemporary social issues and problems. It keeps me rooted and connected to the world around me and it enables me to see how our students feel about it and that's always a challenge, but it's very exciting to see where we start and where we end and see them as they grow through their academic career because what mm -hmm. happens in the first year is amazing to watch what happens by the time they graduate. Yeah, that's true. I mean, the journey that they make from first semester freshman to graduating is uh, really inspiring to see. I agree with the starting over. Every semester is new, and every semester is different, and every class is different. I also, as a math teacher, I love sharing my content with people that traditionally do not like math or they're afraid of it, and being able to share what I love doing and make sense of the material is priceless for me. So it becomes a bit of a calling almost. Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, I think so. I really, it's it's like anything you do. If you go to a great restaurant or you go to a, a, a nice travel place and a nice destination, you want to share what you love with other people if it's a great experience. And um, for me, math is that. It, it does make sense. The logical thinking, the, the content itself is worth sharing. And when you get a transform somebody into saying, wow, that really does make sense. That is what teaching is all about. And it takes planning and it takes a lot of work, but um, that's what it's all about for me. I so needed you in calculus class years ago. <laughs> Connor, what do you think? What excites you? I think that the learning process is really empowering for the individual and for communities. And I like being a part of that empowerment process. I like knowing that the hard work I'm putting in can help move a person or a family or community forward, which they may not have had if they hadn't had this learning opportunity. Absolutely. What are the signs you look for when you walk out of a class that lets you know that it, it went well that day? I think when students stick around mm -hmm. and then they want to talk <laughs> to you after class about something that you talked about in class. Whenever you've got the students who thought about something they were going to say, but they didn't say it, and then they sort of run that idea by you, you know that somehow you met that student even who didn't say something in the class period. But I think, too, you leave with a lot of energy, and I think it's been neat to see or to listen to the other panelists talk about the energy they feel for teaching. It's almost like it feeds itself, and a good class re-energizes you with the energy that you brought to it. But you move to a different place, I think. 
nothing quite as exciting as getting that question or comment that you haven't quite got before or you hadn't really thought about, and you're like, wow, that was really cool. What other signs do you look for to let you know that that went pretty good today? One thing that happened earlier this week, I teach working class poetry, and a student of mine said, this is my life. So I feel a strong connection when like, things go well, when students connect to the work mm-hmm. and see themselves reflected in the text. And they're able to expand a conversation about what this poem might mean because it's, it's re- relatable to them. And I think you know when they turn off their phones and actually read the assignment and then engage and stick around class and say, hey, that wasn't so bad. I, something's going right, and that yeah. feels really good. Yeah, I like a good discussion between students after class while I just listen. I uh, really um, enjoy that experience. I feel like that's a good sign that things went well. Well, that's the best, isn't it? You roll something out, and you just sort of disappear into the woodwork uh, briefly, either during class or certainly after class, and they're just continuing to talk about it. That's so exciting. I think our nerd quotient is fairly high already so far today. Um, What about the opposite? What do you do when you walk out of there and think, boy, that fell flat today, or for whatever reason, I didn't see the light bulbs, or I didn't get the the questions? What do you do then? One of the things that I do, I'm going to jump in on this one, um, I like to hold check-in periods. So when something falls flat, I make a note next time we meet face-to-face, let's ask what happened, what's not working. I might have an informal writing assignment or have them work in groups to come up with a list of ideas of like what should we go over. But I'm borrowing something from my colleague, Scott Hicks. Um, I saw on his syllabus when we were teaching service learning, talking point sessions. And I don't know if that's your original concept, but I certainly borrow it, and I've built it into every class, even my graduate seminars, talking point sessions, because it's like a way to check in and create a pause. Not everyone learns at the same pace, and we all come from different backgrounds and skill sets, so that's a way to just maybe take away a little content, which hurts as a, as a teacher, but it allows for learning to take place and to make sure that students are getting it. Connor, with you in the sciences and Melissa, with you in math, some of those things, as you said earlier, don't come naturally to people or they have some aversion to some part of it. How do you help walk them through that when you're sitting there thinking somebody's not getting it? For me, I acknowledge always that it's hard. I tell them <clears throat> if genetics were easy, we would probably have just figured out how to you know, cure all of the ills that we have in the world in terms of physical illness. And so I... I'm all constantly telling them that things are hard and that it was it was hard for me. And I try to uh, just be patient with them. And it's a lot of cheerleading. You know, that's a big staying positive, but acknowledging that it's hard work, I think, are important things in teaching. And I agree um, that it is hard. Um, I admit that it's not easy for everybody, but... I truly believe if you want to learn how to do something, you can. You might have to work harder than the person next to you, but it's possible. And it's just whether you'll put in the time to do it or not. And it is cheerleading. And I constantly tell them I will do whatever I can do to help. But they've got to put forth the effort as well. And, um, and again, I, I constantly stress it makes sense. If they open their mind and try to understand it, math does make sense. It's not something we just created to torture people. It, it really does exist. <laughs> And, um, and I just try to share that love with them and encourage them and constantly, if something doesn't go right, then I just, I reevaluate. And I had to do that Thursday with class. The first class, 
we had this great activity and it just went over their heads because we have non-traditional students and it was just too much too quick so the very next class I just reevaluated replanned and and modified because you constantly have to you read the students pay attention to them and um, address their needs as best you can I think that's really important you know the ability to read how the class is going and um, to understand from their perspective um, and that changes, right? Because the students you might have taught in 2006, the ones in 2019, they see the world slightly differently. Well, I think certain things happen in society when you're teaching literature that changes the way you teach. It's different teaching African-American literature now post-Black Lives Matter movement kicking off than it was before. And so the students have new questions. And to go to Melissa's point about sort of reprogramming, sometimes you reprogram from class to class sometimes from semester to semester. And sometimes it's not about you, the instructor. Sometimes it's just not that day for that class or that group. And so I think part of it is always sort of trying to stay true to what you do and why you do it. And then also sort of replanning or reprogramming as you need to, given how much you want your students to achieve. And if you're reading that room, you know when they're getting it. And then you know too when they're thinking and maybe not saying something, but they're thinking, they're processing, or when they're just not getting it that day, and it's just that day sometimes. And the art of not overreacting and also not underreacting is what separates a lot of good teachers from great teachers that, that really read that room like you all are talking about and know just what the prescription is to move forward. Let's talk for a minute about the intro classes that from time to time you teach because you've got a real eclectic mixture there. Some who will be majors in your area and you'll get to see them over and over again, and others who are you know, un unmotivated. H how do you, in a room of 30 people, figure out how to deal with not only the 10 who are hanging on your every word, the 10 who are struggling to stay awake, but the 10 who might go either way? H how, do you, how do you structure a day's activities to reach all of those markets, if you will? I'll just say first that I love teaching intro classes. I teach a lot of first-year students through University uh, Studies 1000, the first freshman seminar, and introduction, first-year composition, introduction to literature. Those are my favorite classes to teach because you get actually to shape the academic worldview of those students, the way they'll interact with one another intellectually. Um, to me, that is the, that's the best class to teach. Agreed. You can ask them to do a lot and they have no basis to say, I didn't have to do that this much work in my, my other classes. You can be really highly structured, and they will just do it because if they trust you, they'll do it because they know that they're going to learn something. Yeah, I teach first-year writing, and last semester I taught uh, a course that was themed around dismantling the racism machine, and I connected it to the social justice symposium that we offer on campus. And students, I told them, we're not going to figure out all of these big questions, but we can trust each other to go on a journey. And one way I reach all of the students, at least I hope I do, I create a circle in the classroom. And that might seem really fundamental or overused, but when we look at each other and see how diverse we are, and we, it, it's, a, it's increasing a level of accountability to see each other, to recognize our different backgrounds, and to know that it's not easy to talk about these, these issues, but that somehow we can work together and acknowledge and build awareness. So that, that to me 
it's not so important that I reach every single student because they're going to come at it from different places and I'm willing to take the time of the semester. But I think seeing each other as opposed to the back of their heads mm -hmm. makes a conversation shift dramatically, especially when you're talking about race and racism. And in some way you're handing them off to other colleagues who will you know, pick them up you know, where you took them to and move them a little further along and, and maybe you see them again as uh, juniors or seniors. How do you approach those advanced courses where the numbers might be a little bit smaller? You know, you're trying to identify both the people who are trying to get out of an undergraduate or a graduate uh, program, but maybe you're also trying to motivate people who have the ability for doctoral level work or some highly specialized work. How, how do you approach that class differently? I think one of the ways is you struggle with content. I think in the upper level courses, you may struggle to make it more about content, sometimes thinking that you need to cover a lot. In my years of teaching, I've sort of always sort of taken things out so that we can go deeper with what we do from the intro level up. Um, so I think in terms of the upper level classes, you struggle with content in a way being sort of somehow already set. And I want those students to unpack it as much as I'm asking my students in a first-year class, given they're coming from a range of different experiences, a range of different, they've read different books, they've gone to different high schools, they're coming together. I want them to sort of figure out in that upper-level class as well what they still need to find out, even though they're in that upper-level class. Um, I, so I struggle with trying to make sure that we're doing things that are still active, discussing, um, wrestling with ideas, that they're not fully formed that we still can wrestle with them. I think it also is a lot of relationship building. Um, when you have those upper level students, you build a relationship with the kids and you have to use them and know them and help guide them. Um, this is the first semester in a long time that I've taught some freshman classes and I, I really, really missed it because I do enjoy the teaching of the math content, not just teaching teachers how to teach math. but. Um, to answer both questions, it's planning. You've got to plan. You've got to know your students, and you've got to, with the upper level, understand the relationships, the circumstances, because they usually have a lot more stuff going on in their life, and you've got to take all that into consideration to get the content across because we are preparing them to go out and do something. Um, so relationships, planning. Motivating the students as they come yes. and as you know them, and that is the benefit that you know the students in those upper level classes. And in many ways, you then can turn it back to them in some ways and help them help you teach that material. Yeah. And they feed off our energy. If we're energized and love what we do, I really believe you can get the low level and the high level to do what you want them to do. If they know you care about them, they will, they will work for you. And that's, again, another exciting part is to see them, to see your ideas take root in them and then them evaluate them and then either send them back to you or modify them from their own perspectives, which helps you to follow up for, for what will come next. Um, all right, so how do you figure out what they're learning? Talk about how you assess them. Papers, projects, quizzes, all the above. How much is too much? You know, what's your strategy in terms of... Um, the student who does really well, what do you write on their paper or put back in the learning management system for them? And what about the one who didn't perform? How do you, how do you deal with that? I, I think it's a real struggle because uh, to assign just like exams or formal writing assignments. 
because maybe a student doesn't excel in that area. So I work hard to create a number of different assignments, uh, oral presentations, because I think public speaking is really difficult for a lot of students and, you know, us. <laughs> um, so to wrestle with being leading class discussion for the day, but I also let them, it's not just a simple ask a question or prepare a handout or a PowerPoint. It's your leading class discussion by asking critical uh, questions that connect to the content, to the criticism that we've read. Maybe you have um, a digital project that you want to introduce to the class. So it's all, whatever their skill set, I ask them to find their, their way into an evaluation. So, I, so I, I can then see how they're learning and gauge that. Uh, I think it's problematic if you only measure one or two ways. Mm. So that really puts the pressure on instructors to reinvent. And, and that goes back to your earlier question, like what didn't work so well? Like how is this going to land with the class? So I pay attention to that um, as I create my syllabi. But I think you know public speaking um, is important because th there's so much, it's needed in so many ways and they're so uncomfortable. But creating that safer space to say, let's try out these ideas. You don't right. have to be an expert on this, but you can at least introduce what interested you. And from there, it, it always turns out to be um, a good experience for them because they didn't know they had it in them. And of course they do. I have an 8 a.m. intro level course, and so I have. Um, I am. I encourage uh, participation and on-time attendance by a five-minute quiz on using their phones that goes right into our learning management system, and that's on reading that I ask them to do ahead of time, and the questions are very straightforward as long as they've sort of looked at the book, and we know from research that students that do reading ahead of class do better on exam scores. And if I, I don't generally, they don't generally ask me about it. When I get my upper level classes, I ask them to do that. They say, why are you asking me to look at stuff before I see it in class? And then I grow, I pull out the literature and I tell them because it will, you will do better on your exams if you uh, read ahead of, of me telling you about stuff in class. There's so much good research going on uh, on our campus, both from scholars themselves and what they do. How do you fold your own scholarly work back into your practice as a teacher? And then how do you use research for your own undergraduates, say, to expose them to new concepts? As I've come to UNC Pembroke, I found I write more about my teaching. And uh, when I was in graduate school, I wrote about the literature. And I still do that, but now I write about the literature in terms of how I teach it or the experiences that my students have when they engage with it. So to my mind, that's been an incredibly expansive and illuminating sort of opportunity that UNCP has given me because there are so many different ways that students approach what they learn and how they learn it. And it's been just wonderful to write about. I do um, some cures, some course-based undergraduate research experiences. So I have some research projects that I'm very passionate about about understanding movement of plants through human migration, particularly with the Indian removal. And that's a really good way to touch the a lot of the students around here, American Indian students, but other students as well are from backgrounds where their ancestors were moved. And so they can, um, they can touch that and it's tangible to them. And then we talk about really uh, complex stuff like microsatellites and genetics and genetic diversity but uh, attached to this cultural thing. And it's meaningful for me, and I think it's meaningful for them as well. I encourage my students to professionalize. 
so uh, to attend an undergraduate research conference on campus or statewide, but then also to go to national and international conferences. So I've involved my graduate students and undergrads with archival research that I'm doing. So they transcribe documents. So they learn, um, you know, what does it mean to go to an archive to look at this material, connect it to primary uh, read text that we're looking at in the classroom, and to understand how much history influences the present. So that, I mean, so I'm writing a book project and they're gonna be named as, you know, they helped me do this. So that to me is inspiring mm -hmm. to them. Uh, it's also giving them a tremendous amount of responsibility. There's a lot of copyright issues, so th they learn all the aspects of the discipline. And I think our students are more than capable of embarking on that. And I, I you know, that's something I, I try to have this professionalized um, assignment, writing an abstract, and just even if they just pretend they're going to submit it to a conference, it gives them practice. Mm -hmm. So when they become upper level or graduate students, they've had that experience. I agree. My own work you know, revolves around a lot of archival research and oral history and exposing students to opportunities to do both of those. They come back and they're very excited, um, first of all, about you know, actually talking to historical actors and, and trying to climb into their perspective and get that communication flow going. But, but they're also a little um, overwhelmed with the intricacies of it. Why didn't they tell me exactly what I wanted to tell them to tell me? Why didn't they really open up? Well, you know, everybody has their own story, and you know, part of, uh, of my field is sort of figuring out um, what what you can pull out of it. We'll return to Thirty Brave Minutes in just a moment. UNCP and the College of Arts and Sciences are changing lives through education. To learn more about our departments, college highlights, and news, explore our website. You can also support our academic programs by clicking on the donate button. Additional news and events may be found by following us on Facebook at UNCP College of Arts and Sciences. And now you can subscribe to 30 Brave Minutes on Podbean and iTunes. Remember, wherever you go, whatever you hope to do, you can get there from here. So we're in class, we're preparing for class, and you know we're doing all these assessments, spending time uh, looking over them. Talk about what else goes on in the life of not just a scholar but a teacher. What else do you do in between class sessions? Oh, it always takes me like 10 times as long to get back to my office as I expect that it does because this is a great friendly community. Uh, we all know each other. And um, so a lot of, what is that, in-between space conversations. So between the classroom and my office, I'm having lots of conversations while I'm walking. And they will follow me this way. And we'll be managing, you know, late assignments or doctor's appointments or all these little things that happen or I'm really interested in this. How can I learn more about this kind of thing? Can you tell me more about this? So a lot of just in-between time is, for me, uh, talking to a lot of people. I spend a lot of time in between classes planning service learning projects that takes me off of campus. And I, it's a lot of responsibility to take students somewhere that they're not familiar with, uh, so I have to do a lot of planning on that end, but I bring that into the classroom and we, we plan our service together, so that's a, a co-shared assignment um, and experience, and that kind of experiential learning, to me, just grounds the student um, that they're so invested in what they're doing and that they want to do more. 
Um, and community engagement is connected, at least for me, with student engagement. And they just seem um, as excited, but I'm selfishly going to say this, I love doing that. Uh, and that's something that becoming a professor has allowed me to do, because I didn't do that as an undergrad. So mm -hmm. I'm right in it with my students, whether they like it or not. <laughs> well, a lot of the time you spend connecting with your colleagues across campus. So you're working with them to come up with new programs or new ways to teach students. I know Connor works with a faculty member in sociology and criminal justice yep. on the course-based undergrad, course undergrad research experiences. And student affairs uh, staff have an incredible um, impact on students. And so when we can partner with individuals in student affairs, we can help professionalize and, and help students grow as individuals. I think just like students collaborate and you know that shared experience has value to them it's, it's valuable to us as well you know we need to commiserate sometimes we need to steal a good idea from a colleague we need to get a little motivation ourselves and a little reassurance that yeah you know I've I you know class didn't go that well for me today but um, you know go get them tomorrow and in that's a nice thing about being a community of scholars even if our disciplines are different good and effective teaching crosses so many areas. So if you had advice for students about a couple of things that they could add into their uh, academic day, what would you tell them to help them be a little bit more successful? Well, I think uh, it's important, particularly in the beginning of the semester, though, is never, um, you can always start this, is to have a routine of your uh, review of class. And it's just like, um, and studying, it's just like if you're going to get into the gym and, and start working out, you're going to start small, and you'll spend a few, a little bit of time in the gym, and then maybe you'll get better and stronger, and your mind works the same way, and so you have to give yourself that opportunity at the beginning, because when you're asked at the end to do some really heavy lifting with your brain, if you haven't prepared for that, it can be quite painful. And going back to what Connor said earlier about the environment of UNCP, we do know each other. We, we are a very friendly and cooperative group of professors. And so don't be afraid of your, your professors. You know, If you have questions, do not procrastinate. Just go straight to us. We will not bite your head off. We mm -hmm. want to hear from you. Um, we can only help if we know there's a problem. So don't be afraid to approach your professors, ask for help. Um, utilize all our resources. We've got tutoring everywhere. and. Um, and, and your peers will probably want to help you, too. Um, just don't be afraid to ask for help the first sign of trouble. Yeah, I'd add, too, that mental wellness is just as important as academic success. And we have a lot of services here, but um, there's so much pressure to perform and to be perfect. And I just ran into a student on my way over here, and she said, it's, it's taken me five years to graduate. I said, there's no shame in that. Right. But where does this come from that like you have to finish in four years? And so that, I think there's, we all struggle with that with our students, asking professors for help just to keep that line of communication open. But knowing that, you know, as you struggle with stress, so do we. And we need to practice more mental wellness as a holistic uh, practice because that, it, it, it goes hand in hand. I think you're right. Um, what about first-year college teachers or new on the beat, what would you tell them? What advice would you give them? Don't try to get it perfect. It's never going to be perfect. You know, just do your best and then reflect. You know, you're going to have some days where it just does not go well. That's okay. 
reflect on it and then just adjust for next time. And be confident. Yeah. And if you don't feel confident, project confidence. Mm -hmm. And be authentic. Be yourself. You have been a student. You have trained yourself for what you're doing. And you have a gift to give. And I think students know that you have that gift. And they're ready and willing to, and happy to learn from you. So even if you don't feel prepared, sometimes you might over-prepare. Go in with confidence and be authentic. Be true to yourself. I think that's brilliant. Everyone, you got here, you got into this profession you know, based on all what you accomplished. So trust yourself and be yourself. I think that's great. What about the rest of you all? Advice to new teachers in college? I would say be a little more flexible than you're used to. Uh, that you don't have to have authority over every second of every class. And I've learned over the years, uh, silence is, is good. It's, it provokes thought, but also uh, giving over control to the students, it has changed me as a professor and shaped my teaching experiences, uh, future teaching experiences. So I used to teach very theoretically based and I need to micromanage everything. And now I'm like, you know what, let's have a conversation and what are you thinking and what do you bring to the conversation is just as important as how I plan my lesson plan. I agree with all of you. Um, you have to be real, you have to reflect, you have to plan. And again, we have friendly people. You use your resources. If you get stuck or you need help, talk to somebody. We've all been there and we're willing to help because it's all for the students. Well, this has been great. Thank you all for your passion and your expertise and um, your reflections on all of your time in the classroom. Wherever you're listening to this, we thank you and hope you tune in again next time for 30 Great Minutes. Today's podcast was edited by Richard Gay and transcribed by Janet Gentis. Theme music created by Riley Morton. This content is copyrighted by the University of North Carolina at Pembroke and the College of Arts and Sciences. It is to be used for educational and non-commercial purposes only and is not to be changed, altered, or used in any commercial endeavor without the express written permission of authorized representatives of UNCP. The views and opinions expressed by the individuals during the course of these discussions are their own and do not necessarily represent the views, opinions, and positions of UNCP or any of its subsidiary programs, schools, departments, or divisions. While reasonable efforts have been made to ensure that information discussed is current and accurate at the time of release, neither UNCP nor any individual presenting material makes any warranty that the information presented in the original recording has remained accurate due to advances in research, technology, or industry standards. Thanks for listening, and go Braves! Good job, everybody! <laughs>